prepare today for your transition tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Pantani, and I want to welcome you to the Transition Drill Podcast. I'll be talking with guests about their career journey and seeking their advice to help those planning a similar change. Today, I got to sit down with Anthony Paolino. Anthony served 12 years in the Air Force, and though his military career ended, Anthony maintains a passion for higher education and the student veteran experience. Since his separation from the military, he's founded two nonprofit organizations, both dedicated to helping current and former military families. Additionally, he's worked as the Military and Veterans Affairs Liaison for a U.S. Senator, and he was the Military and Veterans Affairs Program Lead at General Dynamics. Today, he's the Chief Strategy Officer for Virtual Veterans Communities, as well as the Deputy Director for the Helen Diller Veterans Center at Golden Gate University. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's get into this. I call it a bad situation that we're putting people in, and and I'm not looking forward to the outcome of it. No, it's bad for these individuals we're talking about. It's bad for us as a community, as a society, as a country. I mean, we've gone through a difficult time with you know, the coronavirus and the pandemic, and now um, it hasn't stopped, right? Now we have these challenges. And uh, again, not to get into politics, but it's a very, you know, it's a polarizing topic mm-hmm. whenever it comes up with regards to any career field. But in the military, you know, I've heard a lot of friends that have talking about not getting it, and the time is ticking. It's coming close. They're going to mandate it or else people are going to process out. I think we're still waiting for the direction to come from the Hill on whether it's a dishonorable discharge other than honorable administrative. And it has a long time, lifelong sometimes impact on an individual's ability to get another career, another job, et cetera. So I'm a bit concerned about the the effects of all of these things, regardless of whether you agree to get a vaccination or not, there's going to be a lot of effects that are not positive that are going to come from uh, the decisions these individuals, these agencies, companies are making with the mandatory vaccines. Um, I, I understand why uh, and the motivation. Right. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have a lot of negative outcomes from this. So obviously anybody listening can hear by your accent. You're from the East Coast. <laughs> I am. And as we were talking previously, the the run for state Senate. Uh, House of Representatives. House of Re- Representatives. Yes. Give me, give me that rundown and what that experience was like. Sure. Um, well, it was a learning experience. We'll start there. You can take from that uh, what you may you know, without too much time to get into all the details. Um, I think overall it was a good experience because I did learn. Um, obviously, I didn't win. Uh, I was up against uh, a very difficult seat, which was the current uh, deputy or she, I guess she was the deputy minority leader in the House. Uh, spent a lot of time marching through the community, knocking on doors for years before I ran. So it was going to be an uphill battle considering it was my first time. Um, It was overall, I think, a little premature and bad timing on my part. Uh, I did have a vision to run for some type of uh, office, some type of elected official Um, in the future. I've done several trainings. I've gone through several leadership programs that focus on veterans in particular that want to be in, in elected office in the future. Uh, So I knew it was something I would do. I just didn't know when. The opportunity came about where uh, an individual who I didn't really agree with politically and I don't think was doing the best for our community, I think um, she was aligning herself with President Trump when he was running the first time, which is when I ran. And uh, with that, I I don't know that she was keeping our community uh, in mind. I think there was a lot about her agenda and potentially running for governor. And so I got a little frustrated. I got uh, a lot of support from the Democratic Party and some individuals that were kind of in the middle as far as uh, groups, advocacy groups and organizations. And so got a lot of encouragement. I I just basically went to a city meeting and was asking some questions, was engaging with some folks. And 
um, for lack of better terms, got tackled by some of these group leaders afterwards to say, well, nobody's going to be running right now. We don't have a, a strong candidate to running this, or would you be willing to do it? And so without thinking too, too much, I said, sure, I'll do it. Sounds like something you should do with just a spur of the moment Absolutely. decision. Absolutely. So the, the challenge really was, I don't know that I was fully prepared to jump into that. Um, I had a lot of support. Like I said, I had a good team. My family was supportive. It's not that I wasn't ready, but I would have loved the opportunity to prepare a little more than I did. That's the first part. The second part is I was in a pretty public facing type of position with General Dynamics. And though it was not unethical for me to run, um, they were a, a big organization that did receive state funds. And so there was going to be some times that I'd have to recuse myself from things, which meant I had to go to GD, go to and meet with our ethics officer, discuss my intentions, make sure I had their blessing to do it, and then had to re- really focus on my hours, right? Which meant I had to work my full-time job and it was um, long hours sometimes. I never worked a 40-hour week. And so I can only walk and knock door to door and compete with someone who does it all day, every day for years. I had to compete with her doing it in the last hour or two that there was sunlight left uh, around the election season. So it was a a real uphill battle. Uh, I think I did pretty good considering the things that I just said, but no, I did not win. And just for clarification, this was the state of Rhode Island? It was. And is that home home for you? It is. Mm -hmm. Born and raised? Yes. And what brought you, well, let's go backwards a little bit. Growing up, did you, was politics your first interest or has it always been an interest of yours? Because I know you obviously we're going to address your military time, but has politics always been something that's been of interest, an interest to you? No, I just think it was about, uh, for me, there was a motivation to continue to serve. I think that was a big part of it. I'd get out of the military in 2014. It wasn't too many years after that when I decided to run. So I think it was just about the service. Um, politics is in my family. I've had cousins that have held office. My father does now in, in the city council in his town. So uh, I've always been around politics since a very young age. I did some of my academics in political policy and or public policy, sorry, in politics and did uh, a program down in D.C. with George Washington University called, uh, it was based out of the Center for Second Service. Like I was talking about earlier, veterans and military members that would like to run for elected office in the future. So it was basically a political boot camp, political management. And so I, I always knew I had an interest in something. I wasn't exactly sure what it was. So hitting on that real quick. So the George Washington actually has a dedicated program for, is it specifically towards veterans who have an interest in politics? That's correct. They did. Uh, I haven't followed them a bit. This was um, 2012. I went through that program. I'm not sure if they still do. It was a gentleman who was a prior service military officer who stood up a program and it was hosted at Golden Gate University. Um, so his organization was called the Center for Second Service. And so I'm not sure if they're still doing the same program there. So going into the military, was that something you knew as a kid you were going to do? Again, a lot of family that was in the military. You know, my grandfather has had some uncles, some cousins that had served and, you know, was able to talk to them about their service and some of the good jobs, bad jobs and things like that. Um, my senior year in high school was 2001. So after 9-11 happened shortly after, like many others my age and graduating that year, um, that's where my interest became. I I always knew about it, always thought about it, always talked about it with family, but that was really the spark that that pushed me over the hump to go and enlist. So uh, I originally was going to go into the Marine Corps, um, but I knew that I had a real focus on education and potentially doing things after the military. Um, I, I don't know that I was 
given uh, the full story from the recruiter when I met with them. It was a friend of a friend. And uh, so I ended up kind of withdrawing, thinking more about it. Met with my cousin who was at the time uh, an Air Force recruiter. So I met with him when he came into town, talked about a few jobs, always had a love for airplanes and talked to my father who was uh, working in fiber optics at the time, uh, owned his own business and was transitioning to working with Verizon. So I said, hey, cuz, hey, dad, you know, here's some of the things I'm looking at. These are all the jobs I qualified. What do you think? And let me guess, they were completely opposite in their stories than what the recruiter was telling you. They were 100% <laughs> opposite, if that's the thing. Yes. Um, so uh, I just wanted to learn something that I could take into the civilian world. So, you know, that what we were talking about earlier, did I always know I'd stay in the military full time? I don't know that I had uh, really a, a great plan at that point in my life. I was 18. I said 9-11 just happened. That was really my motivation, my family and, and serving our country because of the time that we were going through. I didn't have a long-term plan. I knew I loved airplanes. I knew I wanted to learn something that was technology. And so I, I enlisted as a aircraft, we call it electronical and environmental systems specialist, uh, or for short, aviation specialist. Uh, so I went into basic training early 2002. Uh, I was there for a bit down in San Antonio, stayed in Texas, and went to uh, Wichita Falls to learn how to be uh, an aviation specialist. I did that till the end of that year. Came home and kind of continued on with my civilian life. I was uh, attached to a National Guard unit. And then about three months later, someone got hurt. And my chief called me up on a Friday and said, hey, I need you to go to Kuwait and Iraq. Uh, you're leaving Sunday. So that was my first deployment. And uh, spent a lot of time doing active duty since then, just because uh, the National Guards were upholding a, a big commitment to uh, fulfilling some different duties that active duty when they're moving in and out, we kind of fill in the gaps, right? So the, I guess the, the easiest way to put that national guard was serving at an, a rate that they had never served before right. around that time. Now you said it was motivated or, or pushed further ahead because of nine 11. But at that point, if nine 11 hadn't happened, were you still looking to go into the military and, or were you st starting to go down the college route? Wonderful question. I was actually playing hockey pretty competitively in what we call the EJHL, Eastern Junior Hockey League. So um, like any young kid that was playing at a competitive level, I was eyeballing the, the NHL and I had been asked to play for the Junior Olympics and go over to Austria and, and just the timing didn't work out with a few different things. So I don't know if 9-11 didn't happen, I probably would have either stayed playing juniors and or done the college route early. I was doing some community college classes around that time. And I was, most of my hockey commitments were late in the evening. I was living in Rhode Island and playing in Connecticut uh, at Norwich Academy at the ice rink at Norwich Academy for, uh, uh, they're not around anymore, but they were called the Norwich Icebreakers. So we call it junior hockey team. So um, I could have continued on with college part-time and done the hockey thing until that expired or became something else. And if it didn't, I probably would have went uh, somewhere else full-time for college. So was hockey pretty much your life growing up? Yeah, I would my, imagine. My dad was a, a big goaltender in Rhode Island, um, you know, one of the best arguably in his time, and I uh, won a few state championships, so I kind of grew up around hockey and, and him being my coach for a big portion of my my youth, um, and a good one at that. So he, he pushed me pretty hard and gave me a lot of opportunities most people wouldn't have to get on the ice during while he was uh, coaching because he coached uh, college for a bit as well. Um, so yeah, it was a, a lot of fun learning from him. And then I got pretty competitive myself and was probably playing between six and eight times a week. That makes sense. Wow. So, uh, really got into it and really loved the sport. At that time when you had to make the decision to give up hockey to go in the military, obviously 9-11 probably had a huge impact on a lot of us and that sense of national pride. But any, any regrets giving up the hockey career? <laughs> Million dollar question. 
Um, so I, I have two ways to answer this. My, my first answer that I'll tell people is that's one of the reasons why I joined the National Guard. In talking to some of the recruiters, I had believed I'd do my training, I'd come back, I can continue playing hockey, maybe I'd deploy for a bit, I'd come back, I'd you know get back on the ice and, and keep being able to play. I did try that the first time, uh, so I came back, and most junior hockey teams, you can't play after 2021, 20, it's pretty much the cutoff. And so I did come back and try once, but when you're playing at that level to take off, whatever it was at the time, three, four months to come back and try to be at that level again, it was really difficult. So I kind of went from the top of the pack to maybe the middle of the pack that next year. And just uh, after that, I played for fun. I I wasn't going to be able to compete at that level. And I, I was home for probably nine months and deployed again to Qatar. So at that point, I knew, you know, I've got a military commitment and it's going to be more full time than I originally anticipated. Hockey's going to have to go to a, uh, a hobby. Is it still a, a hobby of yours now? You still get on the ice? When, when the body allows me to. <laughs> yeah, I've been having a, a lingering knee issue here for a bit and had surgery about two months ago. So I'd love to. Um, you know, if you ask my significant other or, or my doctor, they're going to tell me that's no. never going to happen again. <laughs> um, I know my stubborn self. Um, I probably will maybe just with a, a group of, you know, older gents that is doing it for fun, not looking to get out there and give a hundred percent and checking people and getting into fights at 40 years old probably won't be a thing for me. Like some leagues are still very competitive. So I, I'd love to just, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a great release, uh, great camaraderie among the hockey community. It's a smaller community here than I'm used to in the Northeast, but a great community, a lot of great hockey players, a lot of great men and women. So uh, I'd love to some capacity i can tell you being older than 40 it probably won't agree with your body but that's just me you're gonna find out that on your own hey i you know i played um so i guess two years ago now is the last time i played and and i had some folks that were in their 50s and 60s that were still playing pretty competitive and it's just um i admire that you know it's amazing the shape that they're in and to be able to play a sport like that till you're into your 60s is incredible so um do i aspire to that we'll see again if the knee will hold up then we'll make it happen if not I'll have to find uh, another sport. So a total of 12 years in the Navy, or uh, my mistake, the Air Force. Yes. Yep, and, I did about six active and six was just a traditional National Guard time. And when you were coming to the end of that, were you ready to be done or were you thinking that uh, you wanted to keep going with it? No. So I, I um, that's the first time that I hurt my knee and I hurt my shoulder. Um, first time meaning. So around 2010 had those injuries and came back and kind of struggled with coming back from that. Uh, PT became a challenge for me because of the push-ups and the running. So I got put on, um, uh, I forget what we call it back then, basically a profile, a medical profile. So it exempt me from doing those things, but um, it, w- it was a challenge to try to come back from that. And so they took me out of aviation. I became a, we call it in the Air Force, a, a training instructor. Most know it as a drill instructor. Uh, so Rhode Island was one of the first to create a program called the transition flight. Essentially, the, the short story is there were a lot of folks that were enlisting around that time. So this is 2010 still, um, 2010 or 11. A lot of people were, were enlisting, but there were a lot of delays, either at basic or tech school, meaning someone could come in, not get a basic training date till months after they enlisted officially. They're already a member. Their time's ticking. They haven't been trained yet. They wear in civilian clothes. They're really adding no value. They can't. They're not trained. So they would sit around for a bit. They'd go to they'd go to basic training. And then after that, they might not have a an A school. Some military branches call it, we call it tech school. They wouldn't have an A school date. So they'd come back 
They'd be in uniform, but they wouldn't be trained for their job. So they could do some odds and ends stuff and watch, but that's about it. Basically, the short story, again, is there's there was a lot of wasted time there. So we created a transition flight. So whenever someone was not trained and eligible to be in their section, they would come with me and my team. So I'd have between 40 and 50 uh, cadets, let's call them, that would um, learn military drill and ceremony. We'd bring in guest speakers on personal finance or you know, utilizing your benefits once you're in. And we just do a variety of things. We'd keep them busy and try to add value to them personally and professionally before they would go to either basic or tech school. So you work today with veterans? Yes. You Your initial transition was actually with General Dynamics and Veteran Affairs or Veteran Assistance. Where did that desire come from? So uh, after that last deployment I talked about, I got hurt. Um, you know, for me, I said, I, I need to get back into school now and finish up my degree. It's going to be important for me, especially if I get out and have to figure out a, a different career. Uh, so I did that. So after I came back from that deployment, I mentioned I jumped back into school full time. So the post 9-11 GI Bill had just come out in the end of 2009. Um, a lot of schools were just trying to figure it out. Policies were changing rapidly. So I went back to school full time. And in that first semester, um, I had some holds on my account from withdrawing from classes previously because of deployments or other things abruptly leaving in the middle of a semester. Um, so I had to go and get that all figured out. So I was on lunch break. I was in uniform. I walk in the front doors and we're just kind of looking around, thinking, looking through some documentation and looking at the signs on the wall to see where I was going to go. And I was kind of on a time crunch. Obviously, I was in lunch break and gentleman was kind of walking by me, holding some paperwork, too, and just looked up and said, hey, soldier. I was an airman, but you know, whatever. Good try. Right. So he said, Hey, hey I made the mistake of saying you were in the Navy. So right? That's give, okay. us, give us all a break. Exactly. <laughs> so I said, uh, Hey sir, how's it going? No, I just, uh, been out for a little bit now and I'm looking to go back full time, but get a lot of things going on holds this, that, and he goes, all right, come follow me. I didn't know who he was older gentleman that popped out one of the offices there. So let's fast forward maybe an hour and a half. He, he kind of held me held my hand through several different stops, got all these things taken care of, introduced me to the uh, advisor. I sat down with him for a bit and picked out some classes and went over kind of what I had done in the past and whatnot and walked out of there squared away. Um, you know, come to find out that was the VP of student services. So, um, but not specifically a program dedicated or curtailed to veterans. It was just, nope, just general classes at the community college of Rhode Island. Uh, so I was still no, in. The, the gentleman that was helping you was not specifically with any type of entity or unit that was specifically helping veterans. No, he was the, the vice president for the college for student services, student affairs. Um, so, um, so just hold that thought for a second. Let's fast forward several months. Uh, secretary of the VA, um, Eric, Shinsek, uh, secretary Shinseki, who was, a uh, no longer in, obviously, but he was during that time, the secretary of VA came with a few of our senators, some college leadership, and they put together a forum to talk to students. So I, I was asked by that same gentleman and, and a few others, would you like to come and just represent the student veteran population here when the secretary and the senators come, we're going to talk veteran programs on campus. I said, sure, I'd love to. And so in that meeting, we discussed a lot, uh, you know, some challenges of, of the GI Bill changing and the increasing population of veterans on campus. And towards the end, it was the senator or, or the president of the college. One of them said, well, Anthony, you know, I appreciate your comments here. Why don't you stand up a group or, you know, why don't you help stand up a group that could serve this population, you know, student veterans group. And I said, absolutely. I'd love to do that. And so that's what got me into the veteran space that one. Yeah, sure. I'll do it. Not knowing what I'd be getting myself into. So again, if you rewind that gentleman that helped me, I was thinking 
during that meeting and I was thinking back to my experience and said, well, not every person walks through the door while the VP of Student Services, Student Affairs is walking out of his office and then brings you through to all the people that you need to see and make sure everything's taken care of. Not everybody's going to come to the campus in uniform and get that attention either. So um, I realized that there was a lot of challenges there for those of us that were looking to go back to school, looking to get into the civilian workforce uh, after your time in the military, or for me, if I was going back to part-time National Guard. So that was my motivation to say, yeah, I'll get involved. I'll stand up a student group. When we did that, we learned there were a lot of needs from the other veterans on campus. So we became an advocacy group, both on campus, off campus, in the community, at the state house, lobbying for, for legislation that would impact uh, veteran and military families. So it really became a whole lot more than I anticipated. Uh, so when I was just a part-time National Guard member, I was going to school full-time, getting my BAH from the GI Bill, uh, and I was working part-time for the school, leading their Veterans Affairs program. The first year we set up one office, the year after that we set up several more at their other campuses and ended up building a pretty strong ecosystem to serve uh, veterans on campus. And from there, that led to the work with General Dynamics? Eventually. So uh, when I graduated from that program the day after they made me full-time at the college to lead Veterans Affairs, uh, I was part-time as a student and uh, so moved to full-time. And then uh, when I went on to my bachelor's degree at Providence College, around that same time, I got an opportunity to go work for the U.S. Senate, um, one of the senators in Rhode Island. And he brought me on the team as the head of military and veterans affairs for him. So he'd work with constituents, we'd work with bases, we'd work with federal agencies trying to assist veterans. Occasionally, I'd get to talk veteran policy that's uh, taking place, being developed or being pushed on the hill. And so really great experience. I did that about, about a year. Uh, Went on to my master's program right towards the end of that. It was a full-time program. So I resigned from that position working for the U.S. Senate to, to go to Brown for a master's full-time, you know, crunched one-year program. And it was during that program that I was approached by General Dynamics. They were looking to stand up a military and veteran program as well. So given the work I had done in the nonprofit sector in higher ed for a while and then kind of learned some of the VA services on the government side, I went over and set up a program at GD. That was 2015. So from your transition, starting out at JC, looking at the board, not really having a clear game plan as far as where you were going to go to ultimately being in college to get your master's, did your trajectory change as far as what you were studying? Um, my trajectory only changed once. So I originally started, because I was doing aircraft um you know, aviation electronics. I did my first semester in junior college in electrical engineering. I just really didn't love my experience. I don't know if it was the classes or the professors. I'm not really sure what it was. I don't remember to be honest with you, but I just didn't have a, a wonderful experience. So I did okay. But that second uh, year I ended up switching to business management. And so I ended up having the rest of my academic time somewhat in that field. So I get my associates in business management from there, moved on to PC and got a bachelor's in business and leadership studies. And then I did my MPA. So master's in, it's got a couple of different names, but public, public affairs, admi public administration, public affairs um, with a focus in corporate governance. And so kind of all in that business politics sector for the rest of my time after that first year. These veteran groups for, I'm going to go no better term, they were stood up on campus. Are these, um, the, the schools that they were stood up at, are they private colleges or are they Rhode Island state campuses? 
Um, so the one that I, that we were talking about, that was the community college Rhode Island. That's a state funded campus. Are those programs still in place today? Sure are doing wonderful things. And for somebody who's a veteran, who's looking to get that assistance, what are those programs going to help them with? It's back to your question on the trajectory, right? What are your plans? What are you looking to gain? Are, are you working full-time and you just want a promotion? Um, are you working full-time and just want to finish a degree just for the sake of finishing a degree or just learn some new things? Are, are you in the military and you want to transition and do something totally different, right? So are you a, a tank driver? Uh, one of our friends that went through the same program and kind of the same path that I did, you know, driving tanks in the army to HR and talent acquisition and, and more strategic stuff. So do you want to really change your trajectory from the military to a new civilian job? That's going to be a big thing that we'll talk to advisors about. How do you articulate and maximize the experience you had in the military, whether it's relevant to you or not? How do you take all that experience, translate it to higher education uh, get the credit, life learning credits or, or actual credits uh, from your joint transcripts, we call it. So there are actual credits that you can take from the military, from your uh, from your training, from your A schools that you go to and apply it to actual courses. And then there is life experience that you can build in a profile that the advisors can help you translate into usually elective credits in the college. Right. So they'll they'll walk you through that pathway, help you tell your story, help you articulate your skills and then figure out what's going to be the best program for you based on, yes, that background, but also what are you looking to do going forward? So that's a big part of what we'll do at the beginning. Uh, during the middle, let's just say during your academic journey, we will help with maximizing GI belt benefits, uh, other other services that we can plug you into, whether it's community-based veteran services and programs. Um, are you connected to the VA? Whether you think you should or not, you always should. So we can help with getting access to uh, the VA benefits, whether it's uh, filling out a claim for disability benefits or checking out your eligibility at the VA hospital system. So we'll do all those things to make sure that you're set up the best you can for success during your academic journey. Then fast forward towards the end, let's call it junior year or so, we want to start lining you up for the best opportunity for you to have a meaningful career when you're done uh, with that academic journey. So we will often, we meaning veteran offices on campus, we will often try to, well, we will build relationships with some of our corporate partners that, that want to hire veterans and understand the value of hiring veterans and we'll give them access to that veteran community that wants to engage with them, whether it's through currently we're doing virtual engagements, you know, we'll bring different company recruiters on campus virtually to engage with those folks. And hopefully they'll either obtain a, a good internship, a good paying internship or an internship that can get them access to the career they want to be in or a full-time job when they're done. So I guess that really paints the full picture. We, we work with them when they're looking to get into school, helping them understand their, their GI Bill benefits and how to maximize their experience. We'll help them through their entire journey, and then we'll help them try to get a good career at the end. Now, the virtual introduction to corporate companies, is that because of COVID or was that just it is. Oh. We used to bring the recruiters right on campus. Oh, okay. And, and it was a wonderful opportunity to to hear a little bit about said company, to learn about, you know, translating your military resume to a civilian resume and what that looks like, um, really how to understand the application process and to pick out the butt. So all things that we might know, those of us that have gone through interviews and, and landed jobs, it's, it you know, we have the experience doing that. But majority of veterans that are getting out and doing this for the first time wouldn't have any reason to have this experience. A lot of junior enlisted wouldn't have a reason to have a resume. They wouldn't know how to have a, an interview. They'd never had to do that. They enlisted at 18. And of course, I'm stereotyping saying every, all veterans are the same. We're not. But for the volume of the folks that we see getting out, 
that is the case. This might be their first time building a resume and interviewing. So having the opportunity to engage with someone face to face or virtually, you know, hear from them because they know how to uh, successfully get a job within their company. They know what their hiring managers are looking for. And we want to be able to provide that opportunity to our veterans so they have their best foot forward when they go to that interview. With these groups now being on campus, when it started in Rhode Island, was it a bit of a unicorn or was Rhode Island playing catch up with other states? I mean, are these some types of programs that you'll find readily available in most colleges or are they rare? So... Right now, it's amazing to see the wealth of programs for our veterans, whether it's on campus, um, employee resource groups uh, at different companies, the state agencies, the federal agencies. They, we, are, we are so lucky with how much support we get from, uh, from our citizens, right? From our taxpayers, from our government agencies. We, we are really taking care of the veterans community. That's how I feel. Not every veteran is going to feel the same. We know that. Um, but I feel like there is so much out there. Do you want to start a business? There's help for that. Do you want to go into higher ed? There's help for that. Do you want to get a, a technical certificate right now quick so you can get into the workforce? You just got out. You didn't have a plan. There's plenty of places for that. So really, there are so many opportunities that you can um, take advantage of right now. When we started that back right after the post 9-11 GI Bill, there were some groups doing great things, right? We know of all the core groups like the American Legion, the VFW, Disabled American Veterans, DAV. They've been around for a long time. A lot of them started uh, around Vietnam time or became um, what they are now around that time because of the transition of the Vietnam veterans. And so we're fortunate to have organizations like that who have helped tremendously with developing policy that supports our current post 9-11 veterans. So we're thankful for those organizations, but uh, they were really not filling a lot of needs on campuses. So the the population that we're talking about right now in particular, there was not a lot. So around that time, 2009, 2010, GI Bill changed, colleges are struggling. Uh, We were the first in Rhode Island to stand up a veterans organization like that. Um, there was some individuals, uh, a friend of mine now, good colleague and friend, Derek, who was a co-founder of what's called the Student Veterans of America. So around the same time that we were standing up that group in Rhode Island, uh, Derek and others were standing up a national organization out of D.C. called the Student Veterans of America. They now have thousands of chapters um, So you have that student veterans organization on campus that can apply and become a chapter of Student Veterans of America. And again, they have thousands of chapters right now and they do amazing work. They have leadership programs and seminars and summits and a a national conference. I've been to all, but I guess one now. So I'll be on my 11th or 12th national conference that they hold every year. It'll be down in Disney the first week of January this year. Great opportunity for veterans to engage if they're going back to school and they want to engage at resources and hear uh, from amazing speakers and there's companies that are there recruiting for veterans. So it's the largest gathering of student veterans in the world uh, at that SVA conference. So you had them stand up around that same time. And so we've kind of, we've gone in the last decade from really not too much on campus except for a handful of colleges to thousands of these chapters across the country doing a variety of great things for veterans on campus. So in theory, anybody about ready to transition out or or transitioning out should be able to find something similar at a college wherever home is for them. 
That is correct. You know, so we have some veterans, let's just say San Diego. We have plenty that say, hey, I'm here. There's no veterans in San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) Every time you turn, right? So I would say that, let's just say San Diego, um, when when you get out, you can choose to stay here or you might choose to go home. You know, one of the challenges we have is, particularly in the junior enlisted ranks, it's very expensive to live in and around San Diego. So if they get a job making similar money they will make in the military, they might not be able to afford to stay here. Um, when you're in the military, you have that BAH, you have housing, you have food, you have you know health benefits that are paid for. So you, you can afford to live in downtown San Diego. When you get out, maybe not necessarily, especially if you're just going back to school. Uh, so it's, it's a challenge to keep folks here in San Diego and in California. But again, let's just say if someone was getting out and wanted to stay here in San Diego, yes, there are so many organizations and programs that can give them, you know, hold their hand, let's say again, through any types of, of pathways they might have, whether it's entrepreneurship and business, higher education, job, whatever they want to do, there are programs and people to support them for that. Most of these programs, are they staffed by student veterans or, or have they grown to the point where it's maybe largely civilian staff? It's a combination of both. So whether you're talking about um, on-campus resources like we are, or you're talking about some of the other organizations that serve veterans around the San Diego community, there's many of them. So you'll have a combination of both. Any veteran organization is going to have a good handful of, of prior service members or maybe uh, you know military spouses that understand the military population, understand the language, have been there, done that. You're going to have a lot of them led by, or at least uh, some folks throughout the organization that have. Um, but yes, you'll definitely have civilians. You know, I've run into in my 10 plus years doing this, I run into a lot of amazing, you know, civilians that maybe don't have that background and experience, but they're for whatever reason, very passionate about helping the population. And they do a great job doing it. The transition point, what's your recommendation as far as when should somebody be looking at these programs while they're still active or after separation? After, after separation is too late. Okay. hundred percent. Um, unless you've got, you know, uh, if, you, if you've got a milk jar of, of money that, that you can sustain yourself for a while and you want to just relax and hang out, then sure. But for the majority of folks, you need to start planning at least a year before you're getting out. Um, if you know for certain, because with the military, we generally know, well, we always know when our enlistments come up, but we generally know when we have to make that decision. And that last year, you're going to be asked by know, your leadership, you're going to be asked by the education and transition officer, you're going to be tapped in a few different ways to have that conversation about staying in and re-enlisting, or if you're an officer, just staying in, or it's going to be your time to get out, whether it's I'm not going to re-enlist or I'm going to put in for retirement. So you, you're having that conversation within that last year anyway. So around that same time, when you're thinking about getting out, especially when you commit to getting out, you should already be starting to network and engage. Um, I think that the two biggest things that when I see the differentiator between veterans that successfully transition into, let's just call it the workforce, higher ed, a little bit different, but into a good civilian career, there's two things. There's preparedness when you're still in and it's the networking. Um, I don't think a lot of us value the, the, the networking and the opportunity to network because there is a lot of different groups, right? Here we have a cool organization, um, called VBC Veterans Beer Club who travel around to different restaurants that host us and you just you have a beer or you have a glass of water and you get to network with a bunch of other veterans and there's organizations serving veterans that'll show up there are companies that are hiring veterans that'll show up so there's informal things like that you can just throw up you know throw on a button up and 
and go and hang out and have good conversations and see where it leads to. There's other types of organizations like Recruit Military that I've worked with for years now who stand up veteran career programs or, or career fairs uh, for a few hours in all over the country, right? They have, I don't know how many, it's over a hundred every year. So they have usually two or so around San Diego. Um, they used to be at the Scottish Rite Center right down the road from here. And, you know, you'd walk in and you'd have 40, 50, 60 booths of companies, organizations, and higher education institutions that are looking to hire or enroll veterans. And they're there and they can answer a lot of the questions that you have. So while you're still in, you know, granted you have the opportunity to get away from the base or if you're deployed, you might have to do these things over email or virtually, but there are so many of these things that go on all the time around San Diego and around the country. You really have to just plug in. And again, because there's so much of it, there's no secrets. It's not hard to find a lot of these things. You can go on LinkedIn, Facebook, the web, and just type in veteran San Diego, and there's going to be so much stuff that pops up. So I, I can't just say there's one particular group you go to and you can find all of these things. There's just an abundance and what works for you might be different than what I want to see, but there's opportunity to network and prepare and get yourself education on, educated on that transition all over San Diego. The general dynamics program that you were with, what took you away from that? Just the company in general? Yeah. Cause you're no longer with general. No, I left about three months ago. Um, Loaded questions. So I, I love the organization, what they build, what they do, what they innovate, the people, just amazing. There's no arguing that. Um, it, it's a conservative company. It is. So for me, um, I have a young son now, you know, seven months old. So with that mixed with my love and passion, as you can obviously hear and tell for serving veterans, um, this opportunity came up with virtual veteran communities I was talking to them for a bit and, and really loved what I heard. I wasn't committed just yet at, at making the, the transition from GD to another company. Let's say it was six months ago now, seven months ago now. Uh, but eventually, as I learned more and talked more and got to engage with some of the partners they already have, it's a young organization. They're still within their first year. Um, I just, I, I, spe- I felt a spark again. You know, I, I was loving the conversations I was having. I was loving the hearing the support through some of our current partners and clients and what they wanted to do, where they wanted to get to for serving veterans. And I felt like I could help them get there. So just mixed with having the the baby and now being able to work primarily from home, I'll have to do some traveling, but primarily working from home um, gives me the flexibility to be home with Luca every day. Um, That's amazing. I've never had that, that opportunity in my life. And so it's nice to have that. I've gotten Let's just say I've gotten used to working from home. It's it's different for some of us, right? Um, so that mixed with doing something I'm passionate about again, I, I had to make the decision to leave GD. My intention wasn't to to throw it up there as a loaded question. I was trying to ease ease your way into talking about the new company that you work for. Sure. Yeah. Um, how are they different than what you were doing with with GD? Because they're both directed at the veteran community. Sure. So I I started with GD in 2015 and did about three years at our division in Connecticut called uh, Electric Boat, building submarines for the Navy. I was leading veteran programs there. When I came here to San Diego about three years ago, I I put on kind of a different hat. I was still doing veterans and and other programs like that, um, but I added on to be in the military world, we call it a PAO. Um, I was our head of communications. So internal, external communications, uh, all of our philanthropic giving, you know, corporate social responsibility, um, our webpage, things like that. So I really had a much wider scope. I didn't get to focus 
primarily just on military and veterans. Um, I, I hired an individual who was a veteran, uh, previously a veteran recruiter to do that work. Um, so I wasn't directly involved. So I appreciated the opportunity to grow within general dynamics and have a wider scope and more responsibility. Um, but this, you know, in my role here as our strategy officer for VVC, um, I still have that widened scope where I can be strategic, I can be innovative, I can be an entrepreneur again, um, at the same time that I'm also helping veterans. So it's, it's, the, it's getting back to being more hands-on or how you feel more directly connected with veterans. It is. It's incredibly rewarding and I, I've enjoyed it. So to be strategic for the company, but to also be involved with something I'm passionate about, the combination of those things, it's made me happy in these first few months. Now, virtual veterans, obviously they're tasked with, or their goal is to help veterans. How is that different or what do they do differently than like a student veteran group or the other veteran groups that you talked about? Yes. Yeah, so Let's focus on our, our first uh, client that VVC has. That's Golden Gate University up in the Bay Area. Um, the president there, among others, decided that they were going to be best in class. I'm paraphrasing here, but they were going to be best in class for our military-connected students. And so they worked with the, the two founders of VVC. Uh, let's rewind maybe a year ago to say, how can we do this? And they secured a... Um, a very generous amount of money from uh, the Helen Diller Foundation to create the Helen Diller Veteran Center at Golden Gate University for U.S. military-connected students. So within that center, currently now operating mostly virtual because of the pandemic, uh, we have onboarding coaches. We have recruiting assistants to help the college recruit and understand the veteran population. We have benefits maximization coaches. We have career coaches. So basically the entire timeline we talked about to help a veteran be successful during higher ed, that's what they committed to doing. So we have full-time employees and coaches doing all of those things. Uh, so we've created an ecosystem there to support the veterans from the day that they first inquire with Golden Gate University to the time they get out and go work for some of our great partners around the Bay Area. Uh, so there was a big commitment from the college uh, right now, they're a, a partner of VVC, so VVC is contracted to run that veteran center. Uh, in the future, there will be other centers, there will be other partners, they may be higher ed institutions, they may be companies that are looking to build a better uh, veteran recruiting and veter uh, veteran ERG uh, within their company or organization. So there's a variety of things we'll do. So the way that I usually frame our work at VVC is, is twofold. For the veterans, we're trying to ensure that they have the best possible experience transitioning from the military to the civilian world, usually including higher education as part of that pathway. For the company or for the organization, we're helping them to provide the best experience for that military member, right? So those are the two perspectives to look at it. So is the landing platform virtual veterans or is it the school Somebody looking to to use your service, a veteran looking to use your service, is their landing point your company or the school that you work with? It's a little bit of both, right? So it, it depends on the audience. So we at the Diller Center at Golden Gate University have a, a branding and a recruiting and advertising strategy, and veterans will find us through that or through word of mouth. There's a lot of word of mouth. The current veterans that are on campus, which is almost a thousand right now, uh, those folks will talk to fellow service members at some of the bases that are close by to the campus, or maybe at the junior colleges that are looking to transfer to a four-year college. Um, some officers I've talked to recently that are in the military looking to go to our new JD Flex program, which is an awesome program. And we've got some great master's programs. So a lot of different populations, um, 
the majority of our students at Golden Gate are adult learners. So they're not just your typical matriculating student coming out of high school. Um, majority are already working. And like we said earlier, you're looking for that promotion, looking for something next. Military member looking to do something different. So we cater to that adult population. So there's a lot of word of mouth or a lot of coming from other places, the military, uh, junior colleges, et cetera. Does Golden Gate have a specific curriculum that, they, that they're known for or specialize in? Or are they kind of across the board as far as academics? Yeah, they have a variety of programs. I think the three that I love talking to veterans about the most are is their, their EMPA and EMBA programs, really awesome programs they have for that. Um, their program leaders um, understand the military population, or some of them are, and they do great things in those programs to uh, help individuals get into their career field uh, or sorry, higher in their career field or into a new career when they're done. So they're already doing awesome things. That JD Flex program is awesome. If I was someone interested in going to law school, I would definitely consider that. There's there's few, you know, we call them night schools, right? There's few law night schools anymore or flexible programs like that. So um, they're able to come in part-time. So a lot of them are either in the law field or interested in the law field, and they're taking these classes, um, you know, nights and weekends. And so it's a cool program. The, the strengths on the undergrad and into the grad is a lot of tax, accounting, finance, business sector. We've got a lot of great partners around the Bay Area that will hire our students once they finish up. So I would say that's some of our strengths. Virtual veterans also have a connection to the tech schools? We do. Yep, we do. Um, we also have some good partnership with organizations that train veterans to do technical stuff. So some of the programs that we don't have at Golden Gate University, we partner with organizations that provide that training. So let's say, you know, Paul's a veteran coming through our pipeline, heard about us or is talking to us at an event and says, you know, I'm really interested in doing X, but Golden Gate doesn't have X. We started to fill some of those gaps with external partners who are authorized training professionals within either a nonprofit or sometimes a for-profit that provide those, let's call them professional boot camps, right? So learn IT in 12 weeks, get a a certificate in cybersecurity in a few months, uh, all certified to use your GI Bill. So we have partnerships with organizations that do that as well. So we have some veterans that say, hey, you know what? A two-year or four-year degree just is not going to be for me for a variety of reasons. Maybe I just don't want to go to school that long, or maybe I just want to get into the workforce now, but I could use something extra. So we, you know, Golden Gate has certificate programs and some shorter programs, and those that we don't have, have we have built or are building some real good and cool partnerships with organizations like Vets and Tech who provide those exact type of trainings that we're talking about. But again, going back to my earlier question, somebody who's on the verge of transitioning out. So as you said, about a year out, they should be getting with your company right now to start making that transition easier. Yes. I'll have a lot of those conversations. I'll put together socials. Uh, We have events here in San Diego. We have events in the Bay Area. Again, most of them are virtual still right now. Uh, I anticipate that more will be in person starting in January, it sounds like. So uh, we'll put together some of these social events and just talk to folks. So if an individual is transitioning, like you said, a year out and has some questions, I'd love to talk to them about a variety of things. And I do that now. I do it through an organization called Veterati. Uh, any veteran can sign up and get a mentor through Veterati. It's kind of like a match.com for veterans transitioning, right? You put in, you build a profile. The mentors like myself will go in and, and build a profile and we try to match or they try to match that way. So um, I have several phone calls usually a week with individuals that have a variety of questions through that, whether they're looking for VA benefits, they're looking to go to school, looking for a job, looking to start a business, 
you name it. So there are organizations like that that can help, and I, I participate in that. And there's some of these other social networking events that take place. Love to talk to veterans about all those things as well. If higher education is for them, then I point them in the direction of, of our partner over at GGU. Uh, and we have individuals that are great at having that first conversation, get them on board and getting them using their GI Bill for the first time. So I'll just usually have that initial conversation with them, kind of help them figure out their way if they don't already know it, and then send them over to the right person to talk to with a nice warm handoff. You Obviously, your company will have that information in the show notes, but you've referenced quite a few other platforms or companies Will those be available or not? Will those be available? Will you be able to give me all of those? Because I know sure. you mentioned a bunch of names and I'm sure people probably listening are going, I can't remember them all. Oh, you can't. And there's just there are so many organizations that I, I can gladly put my stamp on saying they're doing a great job for our returnings and, and uh, transitioning service members. So I, I'm happy to provide this is Anthony's opinion on the organizations doing cool things. There is such a long list, but I, I definitely have a short list. And that short list is where I like to turn my veterans to that I talk to personally. So for those listening who have been trying to potentially keep notes on all this, yep. I'll make sure we get all of this in the in the show notes where you can just find all the links to get to where you need to get to. Your advice, talking about networking. So a virtual networking event is completely different than an in-person what are some tips you would give to, to a transitioning veteran who's going to embark on or take part in a virtual networking event? What are some of the don'ts or some of the, and some of the do's in, in something like that? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. You know, it depends on the veteran, first of all. Some are more comfortable with a situation like you and I are having right now, just talking to someone and having an open conversation. Others just don't like it. And then that's natural. That's okay. I think from my experience doing this virtually over the last few years in a variety of, of forums, I find that veterans tend to be more intimidated by the virtual. And it might look something like I'm going to a virtual career fair uh, and I'm doing this all for the first time as it is. Don't really know what I'm looking for necessarily. And I jump into this chat room now all of a sudden. I'm in a, a lobby. I pick a company. Let's just call it General Dynamics. I jump into the GD room and there's six recruiters that are all here and and me, right? Um, it's pretty overwhelming for most people. I, I would, can imagine I guess, that. Right? Um, so we try the best that we can to just lighten the mood. You know, I'll usually be sarcastic or joke around and start with some easy questions. You know, what do they do in the military? What are they looking to do? You know, all questions that really anybody can answer. Um, what I would recommend the veterans can do is one, just be flexible because every company you're going to talk to operates a little differently, right? So just be flexible. Uh, you're not going to know what to expect when you jump into these for the first time, or maybe even the first few times, that's okay, right? Be comfortable with that. We think military members were good at adapting and overcome as we usually call it. Um, so just be, be ready and willing to be uncomfortable if this is not for you. Um, but be prepared, right? If there's things that you know you've done that you want to highlight, just have some things. It's virtual, right? So you're not standing in front of a table with like a cheat sheet in your hand, but you can have a little cheat sheet off to the side if you'd like. So maybe write down some bullet points on things that you really think you want to get across or write down some questions that you really want to ask from a company or a recruiter. It might be the only time you talk to a, an actual individual from that company. You know, the rest of it might be online until you get extended an opportunity to interview. So you're just interacting with the computer, right? So maximize that time. And one of the best ways to maximize is be prepared. So know, if you're talking to general dynamics, know a little bit about what they do in the community. 
or what they do in the area. What are they building here in San Diego? Or if you want to go, you know, back east to DC, what do they do in DC? So just show a little interest and a little knowledge about what the company's doing. I think that goes a long way when you're talking to a representative from them. And then just be prepared with those questions or the things you want to get out in that conversation. So when somebody jumps into one of these virtual networking events, there's for no better term, a room that they can. So it's not like it's just a massive amount of people. They're not signing in and seeing 500 people on the screen. There's specific areas or rooms that they could go into depending on their interest or what they want to talk about. Yeah. You know, there's different structures for this. There's some that are more of a webinar. So you might see a bunch of people off to the side. They don't have the chance to to comment or say things. They're turned off and you just see the speakers or the panel members that are all speaking. And it's more of just delivering content. I've seen some of those. And the ones that I usually participate from a recruiting standpoint, you jump into a lobby, you might hear, you know, a welcome or something like that. And then you've got a variety of rooms. Those rooms are, let's just call them virtual booths, right? So you're going to jump into a virtual booth with, uh, you know, an admissions advisor from, or an enrollment advisor from Golden Gate University. Okay. So you're going to jump in and maybe it's just us one-on-one. You're having the conversation. There might be a few people and you just got to kind of listen to the conversation end, and then you jump in with your questions. And so those of us on the side of the organization or the company are just repeating ourselves over and over, seeing a lot of the same things, trying to help folks guide them to, to where we want them to be in that pathway, right? Which is usually you do a request for information on a, on a website like Golden Gate University, a request for information, is just your basic info. Who are you and what are you looking to do? You submit that, that goes to the enrollment counselors, and one of those folks is going to reach out to you and, and have a more in-depth conversation before you have to actually go through the full application process. So we really want to have a conversation with them to understand what they're trying to do, answer any questions that we could answer over a session like that, and then guide them to the best possible place. So that's really, that's that's us shuffling crowds along. For the veteran that are going to those uh, that's what they're going to see. They might see a couple people in a room. Um, what we do sometimes, if there is an individual, if Paul pops in and he's just got a lot of questions, and I just think it's not going to be the right forum to sit in that that larger chat, um, that that virtual booth, I might either one pull Paul over to my personal Zoom and say, hey, you know, Paul, great questions. Let me pull you out. Let's let's talk about your personal circumstance over here. Hey, guys, I'm bowing out. You guys got the virtual room. I'm going to go over here at Paul, and we'll have a, a more intimate one-on-one conversation to answer the questions that you might have. Um, those might go on for 30 seconds. They might go on for five minutes. You, n- you never really know. So, again, there's a lot of different structures there, and sometimes it just depends on bandwidth for the organizations. How many people do you have there, and how many veterans are coming through? Can somebody always anticipate that that a room or a booth is going to have an independent moderator as opposed to now all of a sudden I'm just sitting in front of five representatives from five different companies and okay, who goes first? Yeah, it's going to unfortunately be the latter most of the times, right? So in a, a virtual career fair, you might have 30, 40, 50 companies or booths, let's say, you're just going to see on the screen, like maybe a circle or or a list, and you're going to say, okay, maybe you just sit first in the lobby and write down, this is what I would do, right? Write down the organizations or the companies that I want to talk to, then just start off the top, right? All right, Golden Gate, I might consider an MBA. Let me go talk to them first because I'm in California. And I drop into their room and I'm going to see whatever recruiters or enrollment reps or whoever is in that office, maybe someone that's a leader in one of those programs are going to be there to talk to you about that. So you're going to jump in not really knowing who's going to be there. It's going to be several representatives from that college. And you jump in, you tell them what you're looking to do and why. Maybe there's someone there that can talk to you specifically and pull you to another breakout room. Or maybe we just have an open chat about what to do next. Those generally only last a minute, 
to kind of, okay, who's Paul? What does Paul want? Where do we send Paul? We send Paul there. Now Paul leaves and goes on to the next booth and we move on to the next candidate. And so, um, yeah, you just make your way through your list like that. I, I typically see that's what it is. So again, the more prepared you are, the more prepared candidates I see, the quicker that process goes for everybody. So if you're efficient and you say, all right, I know my elevator speech, right? I'm Anthony. I'm an Air Force veteran. This is what I did in the Air Force. This is the current degrees that I have. This is what I'm looking for you, company, organization, higher ed. Um, and then the conversation starts. So I, I get out very quickly what I want. They can tell me what they can do for me. The conversation can be over pretty quick. It's almost like speed dating. So if we're talking efficiency and maximizing those events, that's what I really encourage veterans to do. Be prepared with your elevator speech. Let them know right out the gates. We don't need small talk. We really don't. That's not what this is for. This is for getting a job opportunity. They know what you're there for. They absolutely <laughs> do. Right? Everybody knows what everybody wants for the most part. So if you want to hit the most booths, especially in some of the places that have a lot of employers signed up, you might, you might want to hit a lot of them, and you can only do that if you're efficient. So Elevate a speech, know what you want to get out of the situation, have your list, know at least a little bit about those companies, hopefully at least your top couple, do some research on them at the very least. And you can, you can jam through a couple good conversations. You know, um, I'll typically go in and I'll drop off my email. So if someone wants to continue a conversation after that, they can do that as well. At the end of the day, what we want as an organization is for the veterans to leave taking value, taking the right contacts, and being able to know what the next steps are. If they're leaving confused or leaving like they don't have an action or they're leaving and don't have an action item, that's a failure on my organization's pot. For the veteran, if they are leaving with some value add again too, whether it's learning about a new program, learning about a new initiative, learning who I should talk to, learning about a peer that might have been there, they said, I'm happy to talk to you. So if you can leave with several action items, you've won in that circumstance. Regardless if it's virtual or like you said, in, in January could be reopening to in-person. Two parts. Well, I'll, let me address the first part. Somebody going to one of these events is going to know beforehand what companies and what schools are planning to be there. So it's not like they've got to prepare for 10,000 companies. They're going to have an idea of who to prepare for, correct? Yes. yes. And then when it goes back to being in person, do you think that they'll still keep doing the virtuals to, to keep the exposure to the greater number of people? It's a wonderful question. I think I've heard multiple answers from a variety of organizations that are hosting these types of events right now. I think the value, when it goes back to in-person, you're going to have most of the companies there, right, doing it in person. So the companies probably won't have a virtual component if they're going and they're sending those recruiters or representatives in person. So if they want to try to do that, let's call it a hybrid model, and also have a virtual, I'm not sure that veterans going to get the best experience who tries to attend virtually right? Unless a company has the bandwidth to have people manning both of those. So I, I truly feel like once we get to a place that most of these things are happening in person, the virtual just isn't going to happen. There might be still some virtual events that are out there, right? A lot of these companies already bought the tools, right? They have Zoom events. They already paid for this. Um, so I feel like they'll have virtual events, but I've been to a few already in the last year that have tried to do hybrid. I'm not really sure it meets the mark for both populations when you're trying to do both at the same time. How often can somebody expect if, to be able to participate in a virtual or, or a networking event? Are they weekly, monthly, you know, once every oh, six man. months? It's overwhelming. There's so many. 
Um, it, it depends on where you are, right? So if you're a veteran that's here in San Diego, but they're looking to go back to the Midwest where they came from, you're probably better off networking here. I, I don't know how much goes on in the Midwest. I don't, I don't see a lot that goes on there, um, but I'm also not there. I just, I think we're in a unique circumstance here in the San Diego County and you know, LA County and San Francisco. There's so many great veterans organizations and initiatives that we've got to take advantage of that while we're here. We being the veterans that are getting out and transitioning. So there is just so much. I, I do believe that some was curtailed by by the pandemic, obviously, and not all organizations did a good job transitioning to offering virtual options. But now that things are opening up again and, and, and a lot are sounding like the beginning of the year, so all goes well and as planned, the beginning of the year, we're going to have a lot of opportunities again for engagements. And it could be a variety of things. It might just be a veterans celebration or a veterans type of event you can go and you can network meet people because you're going to have a lot of individuals that are serving that population that go to those types of events there's political events that focus on the military and veteran population maybe a, an award or a ceremony is given out you're going to have a lot of folks there that you can talk to a network that work within the space so there's so many different ones it's not just a college or career fair that you're going to attend there's a lot of different ways to network within the veteran population any cost to the veterans other than, you know, obviously travel costs, but whether it be a virtual event or in person, do they generally have to pay or are they free? I can't even count on one hand how many times they've had to pay for events like that. It's, it's far and few between. So most of the time it's free and that's usually the organization is a nonprofit and raises money and is able to provide these opportunities to the veterans and service members free of charge or, uh, their companies that sponsor. So the companies that are looking to go recruit or talk to folks are paying money to sponsor these events. Therefore, the veterans do not have to pay. When they do go back in person, what would you recommend a veteran have? Do they need to bring anything with them? Should they have a business card? Should they have, or should they just bring themselves? Depends on what you're looking to get out of it. But if you're going to go to a career fair, you should have a resume or a LinkedIn, you know, or a business card, the QR code LinkedIn. And that's typically what I do now. Again, I'm all about efficiencies, right? So in my wallet, I might have a collection of things that I'm going to go to any event with, right? So when I pull it out, okay, so here's one of my business cards, just says virtual veterans communities. You'll see the little bars on the side, like the, the new credit cards have, you just tap and, and pay and then a, a QR code in the back. Um, I have the same exact thing on my business cards and I'll, I'll explain in a second what they are. So same thing, business card, real basic email, cell phone number. I've got a few QR codes in the back. So I, I think efficiencies, I think this, um, this is my LinkedIn. A lot of us communicate, especially at these events by connecting on LinkedIn. So I just oh, take a picture of that. Great. Now we're connected. Let's talk next week when it's not 50 veterans in front of me. This other one is my veterati I talked about, awesome organization providing mentorship for veterans. So when I meet someone and they want to talk more and, and, and they've either expressed or I feel they need a little bit extra. I'd be like, hey, you know what? I offer opportunities to talk for usually 30 minutes or, or an hour. Uh, I'm happy to provide that to you. It's, it's free of charge. The organization's easy to connect with and serve. Just scan that. It shows you my profile. When you click it, you can sign up. Super easy, free, why don't we do that? We'll talk sometime in the next few weeks. So that's generally how I'll say things. It, it helps the conversation move along when I believe they do need more. I don't want to just say, hey, go do this or this organization or that organization. Some folks will do that. Just send the veteran away. I, I like more of that warm handoff to know that 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 full circle has been made. So the veteran that needs a little bit extra is going to get extra. And I want to be part of that process. So 
I'll do things like that. This has all my information on it as well. All I do is, is Paul can tap this with the back of his phone. It pulls up my information, my LinkedIn, my email, my, our website, all of it's right there. You hit save and now it's in your phone. So veterans can do the same thing. I mean, you can go to Vistaprint or a lot of places and get just a simple business card so cheap and throw a QR code on the back. I mean, 500 for what, 10, $20. So you just get it. What is your information? Are you an Air Force veteran? What are you on the back of your LinkedIn profile, which I believe anybody that's getting out, that's transitioning, looking to network. If you're not on LinkedIn, you're wrong. You're missing out. So maybe that on the back. So you can do the same thing. You meet recruiters and you say, Hey, I'd love to connect. Do you have LinkedIn? Okay, here. And you you initiate that just like I would typically initiate it. So I I think things like that you can do to really be prepared when you go into any types of these networking events, handing out business cards is good, but I think something like this is just quick, efficient, easy, and and it's, it's professional at the same time. So you you can't expect to be able to go through this process without putting a little bit of effort yourself. Um, I, I would, I would imagine that for most veterans, you get what you put into it, so to speak. So if you're, if you're looking to put the minimal amount of effort into it, then you can't say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. Um, there is going to need to be that on, on their part to put forth a solid effort. That's right. As opposed to just sitting around going, okay, it's going to come to me. I'm a veteran. Give it to me. So you're getting me into a topic again that I can talk about for a long time, but we won't, but I'll just touch on it. Um, I think a lot of people get caught in the situation where society is saying, hey, take care of our veterans. Our veterans have sacrificed so much. They've gone through so much. They're struggling. Let's support our veterans. Veterans are a charity. I really don't like that. And I don't like when veterans get too caught up in that. Now, what I think is like we talked about earlier, there are so many great opportunities. We veterans in this generation are fortunate to have so many great opportunities that generations before us, like my grandfather, my uncle, Vietnam, they didn't have those opportunities. They really struggled to find opportunities. There were not these programs like we're talking about, certainly not as many. Um, So I like the narrative to be veterans are the most highly trained, highly skilled workforce in the entire world, the United States military, right? Learning from the best, learning on the best technology with the best tools. You get out, you are an asset to a company you join. You're an asset to the community. If you're in college, you're an asset to the classroom. I really like the conversation being that. Then, you know, oh, thank you, Anthony, for your service. What can I do for you? Um, I, I just, I don't think that that helps us as a society. I don't think it helps the veterans community. I don't want veterans viewed as, a liability and a charity case, they are an asset to our community. So um, I, I love when veterans can take advantage of all these opportunities, be positive about it. What what can I do? What can I do to be prepared? Um, not just be looking for, for handouts. So I, I have little sensitivity for veterans that are really just sitting back and think everything's going to be given to them because they served our country. Well, we all did. We chose to. We're not in a draft. We're in a volunteer situation still right now. So we all volunteer to join the military. Because there are these great opportunities, go seek them out. Go take advantage of them. If you are not putting in the effort, like you said, it's on you. It's not on me. It's not on Paul. It's not on the higher ed institution. It's not on our country to do all these things. You need to be prepared. You need to put in the effort. The resources are there. You just have to reach out and use them. But at the same token, put forth the maximum effort on your part to give the best presentation. 
Yes. There's really no excuse. You know, I, I understand that veterans do go through challenges. I've, I've got a lot of friends and family that have had challenges through certain periods of time. Transition is different for everybody. Some have a great experience. Some don't have a great experience. Some have, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the military with all great experience. Well, with most great experiences <laughs> and, and some don't. And, and many of our brothers and sisters don't make it back. Right. So I'm not going to paint everything with a broad brush, but I do feel because there are so many services out there that they really aren't many excuses. There's going to be rough patches. I I respect and appreciate that. There's going to be some real difficult challenges and maybe with some pride, it's hard to reach out and ask for help. Um, I've had friends that have been there and and fellow service members as well. I, I totally, again, get and respect and appreciate that. But there is just, there's too much out there for anybody to say, nobody's looking out for me. There's nowhere I can turn. There's, there's nothing that I can do right now, regardless if you're jobless, homeless, just transitioning, struggling with mental health, no matter what it is, there's people like you and me that care about this topic. There's a lot of others that care about this. There are so many organizations. There's great federal agencies that are doing nothing but taking care of veterans transitioning and taking care of veterans mental health. So if you want to get help, if you want to get a leg up with different programs and certificates and start a business, if you want to do it, it's there. You've just got to seek it out. Well, and you just hit on a very important point is don't let pride get in the way of asking for help. We all need help at certain times for a variety of reasons. Don't let not getting there be hindered simply because you're too prideful to say, I need a hand. That's right. And, you know, it's it's not always the individual's fault. I think the military intentionally, when you come in, they break you down, they build you back up. You're supposed to be tough. You know, you're struggling, you're sweating, you can't you know, you can't make it up the hill. You push through. Come on, don't be a candy. Get, get, get the rest of the way up there, right? So I'm being a little facetious here, but the military trains us to be tough. And if you're not tough and you can't overcome, you can't adapt, well, then you must be part of the, the weaker population if you can't do what it is we say all military members can do. So I, I think that psychologically and emotionally, we're trained through our whole time in the military to be tough, to push through, not to ask for help. Now, I will say, I'll give credit to the military and DOD. They've come a long way since I got out even, um, where they're trying to make it more of an inclusive environment. I know that uh, they've gone through a lot of work to make sure that people are being treated right and with respect in the military and that those situations, if it if it comes up and it's, it's addressed by leadership, that it's handled and it's taken care of. So I will say that it's gotten better in that regard, but by nature of it being the military, you're supposed to be tough. So I I think, and I've seen, I don't think I know, there's a a long period of time when people get out um, that happens sometimes before they're willing to reach out and ask for help. And unfortunately, I've seen it a lot where they just, it's rock bottom and now they have no choice but to reach out for help. And you're really not asking for help, right? You, You are just looking to connect with the resources that you are eligible for. You served your country. Yes, you are eligible for a lot of things. Um, a, a common misnomer is veterans say, well, you know, my friend was was shot or, or blown up and he's got it really bad. So I, I feel like I'm okay. So I really don't need to do that service. I don't want to take that away from those that, that really deserve it. I, I hear that a lot and I've always heard that a lot. That's just false. There, there is plenty out there. There's plenty of funding out there. The VA is able to support anybody that needs it and wants to help and is eligible. Um, so that that excuse, I'll call it, not to be too tough, but that excuse just doesn't work. If you need something, if you want something, and there's a program out there, you should be doing it. Now, you referred to on your business card the QR code. So we're getting very technical and and 21st century or whatever you want to call it. Anything that's via an app today that 
veterans can use? Has it gone that far yet? It has. I still think the traditional website is the best. So if you're talking the VA, the VA system is very big, right? It's And it's broken into, for the sake of this conversation, two main parts. VHA, the health administration side, that's the hospitals, the VA hospitals we see. Uh, the VBA, Veterans Benefits Administration. That's learning about your VA benefits and your education benefits and all the other benefits, accessing them, um, you know, applying for them, getting them and going to school or doing whatever it is you need to do. So those two organizations, you can find that on va.gov. There is so much information. Might be a little overwhelming at first, but um, it's also been improved quite a bit over the years. So you can go in and pretty easily navigate that page to find what it is that you're looking for. There are some changes, some enhancements that are being made that I like. Um, there's a couple other key um, apps slash websites I think are very important. Uh, if you're a veteran and you've connected to the VA, you should have already. If not, look into it. eBenefits. You can go on eBenefits or just Google VA eBenefits, uh, pull up the website. Again, apply if you have not. It's free. It's simple. You have access to a lot of information that is yours, whether it is your VA disability claims, your education benefits. You can apply to things right there. It's very simple, very user-friendly. They walk you through the whole step. Um, If you're a veteran, you should have access to eBenefits. The other one is My Healthy Vet. Again, just Google VA My Healthy Vet. And that is your gateway and your portal, let's call it, into your VA health administration, right? So you can see prescriptions, upcoming appointments. You can do secure messaging with your doctors. So I think when you're talking benefits and VA and, and you know, big VA government services, um, those are the really the, the three sites that you want to pay attention to. VA.gov, eBenefits, and My Healthy Vet. Those three you absolutely should be accessing if you're a veteran. So to start wrapping this up, We've covered a lot, and and I really do appreciate your time. Any last pieces of advice uh, that you could give to somebody listening who's a vet or or a potentially transitioning vet that we haven't already covered? Yeah, I I think we did cover it all, but let's just really hit the main points. Is is one, you can't prepare too early, right? So if you know or think you're going to get out and you're a current service member, start looking around. Two is there's a lot out there. I understand it's overwhelming, but when you engage with someone, you know, like I'll just use VVC, for example, there are people on that team that can help you walk through what you're eligible for, what you should be exploring, point you in the right direction on how to apply, or if there's a person you need to talk to getting access to that. So there are a lot of organizations, let's just call them a hub. There are a lot of those in any of the areas you're going to be. San Diego, again, we're very fortunate. So look for those hubs, look for those organizations to help point you in the right direction. Real quick with that, though, I'm, I'm, am I understanding correctly? Once somebody connects with you and your company, you're going to hold their hand, no other, better way to refer to it, through the entire process. You're going to be with them from start to finish? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, and this is particularly in higher ed, right? So Golden Gate University, that is absolutely going to be the case from the time you're inquiring and thinking about it and you touch this from whatever way, right? Social media, you see something, you're at an event, you go to the school, whatever it might be. Once we know that you are a military connected student, we call it. So current military um, veteran or a spouse, family member of a veteran that has access to GI Bill benefits. Um, If you're one of those individuals and you're inquiring, you get flagged. We know about it. We're going to talk to you. You're going to enroll. You're going to have assistance through that whole process. You're going to have access to different uh, speakers that come in and talk to you about the things that we've talked about. The VA comes in and talks to our students that are enrolled. Um, The DAV and other veterans organizations that help with claims and benefits, they come in and they help talk to individuals that are interested in hearing about something like that. 
We bring in companies for when you're looking for a job. So yes, it's an entire ecosystem to support you. But again, you've got to make that initial touch point. And then just the the final uh, wrap up on this. If somebody's looking to make this transition and and go to a company like yours, is it is that going to need or will that need be their only stopping point or are they going to need to use multiple companies to, to achieve what whatever their goal is i mean um is it and maybe i'm overgeneralizing it is your entity a one-stop shop or just a piece in their puzzle to get to their end goal so in particular in higher education right we would be the glue in the middle there are a lot of partners that we have. The, the institution itself obviously has lots of services and they provide all the academics. So all we are is the wraparound supportive services to say, if you are a military connected student, we are going to help you get from where you are right now, inquiring to securing a meaningful job. So we're going to make sure. Now that does mean lots of partnerships. It means an entire ecosystem, but we are the one to facilitate those relationships and those conversations. So that is the case. Um, but I would say outside of higher education, it is most certainly a combination. You know, you might reach out, you might be getting out now. First thing you're going to go through is TAPS, right? The transition program within any of the bases all have transition programs. You're going to sit through a one-week uh, collection of seminars to hear about a variety of things. It's it's just a dump of information. You're going to leave with a stack and a lot of things and a lot of good information. Hopefully you retain most of it. But um, the military is going to do that first. Then let's say you're out. It's your first day as a civilian. And you, let's just say, hypothetically, you're only starting right now. You're going to have to go to a few different places, right? You're going to want to connect with the VA if you have not already to get enrolled. If you feel healthy today, if the knees not bother you and just yet, that's no big deal. It's it's still great to connect with the VA to understand what you're eligible for it, get that VA card. And when you need anything, you're already ready to go. So you connect with the VA. Now you have to think about what do I want to do? Do I want to do something that's similar to the military, similar in structure? Let me find an organization that identifies as being the same, right? I found that in the defense industry. There's a lot of similarities between how the defense industry operates and manufacturing operates and how we operate in the military. So if you're looking for something like that, maybe it's law enforcement, maybe it's manufacturing, uh, maybe it's the defense industry. You can find that. Um, if you say, you know what, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to grow my hair. I want to grow my beard. I'm done with the military way. Then maybe you want to do something more innovative. You want to start a business. If you have an idea and you need to develop that, there's organizations that turn you for that. You know, there are um, entrepreneurship boot camps, some by the provided by the government as well and government funded with grants. There are other organizations around San Diego that do uh, veteran entrepreneurship programs. And so no matter what you want to do at that point, there's going to be an organization. But yes, it might be a combination of a few. And most importantly, start sooner than later. Absolutely. Yep, okay. Absolutely. I appreciate your time, sir. And obviously, you. you know, like I said earlier, I'll get all of the information in the show notes, but would you're available for people if they want to reach out to you? I sure am. You know, I'll continue to plug LinkedIn because I think it's such a tremendous resource right now. But um, so mine, if you go to LinkedIn, it is Anthony Paolino, A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-P-A-O-L-I-N-O. -O -O. Um, you can find me on there and I'm happy to connect. And I talk to a lot of veterans and if I'm not the right person to talk to for whatever it is that you're looking for. I love to be a connector and a matchmaker and find the person that you should be talking to. So that's a great starting point. I appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed it. 
Not only is the podcast available on audio platforms, but you can also watch it on YouTube at the Transition Drill Podcast channel. Please subscribe for future episodes. The best way you can help the show is by getting the word out. If you think somebody else might enjoy it, I would appreciate it if you would share it with them. Also, if you have the time, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating. I welcome your feedback, both positive and negative. You can also go to the website, transitiondrillpodcast.com, and through the contact tab, send a message directly to my email with any comments or suggestions. Thank you again, and I hope you tune in for the next one.